electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Zach Felici. Today on our podcast, Bitcoin bounces back as Amazon might be entering the crypto sector. Almost looked like short covering or something with the speed of the snapback. Electric vehicle startup Lucid Motors is set for its public debut. CEO and Chief Technology Officer Peter Rawlinson. I don't actually believe there is a market for EVs. I think there's a market for cars. And the more penetration that EVs can make in all sectors, the better it is for the environment. Ratings for the Olympic opening ceremony were down 36% compared to 2016. Axios Media reporter Sarah Fisher says times have changed. As people have transitioned to streaming throughout the pandemic, they're not watching live linear TV shows as much as they used to. But unity is more important than ever. CNBC Sports business reporter Jabari Young. From the Olympic standpoint, it's just good to get out of the negative COVID headlines and to start to celebrate and get to know some of these athletes. It's Monday, July 26th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one, cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Curran. Becky's off today. Two big market themes this week. We're going to be hearing a lot of earnings and we're going to be hearing from the Fed. On the corporate front, we're going to be getting results from Tesla. That's going to happen after the bell tonight. Other big names on the docket include Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft and Amazon. A number of other high profile companies also reporting in the coming days will be 3M, Boeing, McDonald's, Ford, Pfizer, of course, the maker of the vaccine, and our own parent company, Comcast. And then there's going to be the Federal Reserve, the central bank set to kick off its latest policy meeting. That's going to happen tomorrow. No action, though, expected, but investors will be paying a lot of attention to any mention or even a hint, a hint, a tiny baby hint, Joe, of whether we're going to be getting a hike in all of this. Amazing how how much we do hear from the Fed, because I guess I have deja vu and time passes quickly. But just was it last week or the week before we had the two day testimony? And was that last week or the week? We just we just two weeks. I want to say that was two weeks ago. All right. Well, we were just agonizing over the possibility of a taper or of of anything happening. And here we are again. So Bitcoin topping thirty nine thousand yesterday, something it hasn't done since mid-July. Among the bullish headlines supporting the move, Amazon confirming a job posting for a digital currency and blockchain expert. Uh, traders say that that suggests that the e-commerce giant could be uh, taking a close look at cryptocurrencies eventually uh, for payments. It was as low as 33 and change, Andrew. 39,770 yep. I got as, as the high. And now it's uh, after that, it, it you know moderated its gains a little to where we are mid or low 38,000s. But you remember what was 29,000 we were talking about it last week. And there yep. was some concern that, that when it gets there, it's at, it's at a key level in terms of if it were to go below Clearly. that, it, it could be at 20 or so. And it did, that did not happen again. And 
It almost looked like short covering or something uh, the, the, with the speed of the snapback. It's a Ether 2 up, up at about 2400 I, I, you know, I, I, I bought one of those, uh, Andrew, just, just for the heck of it, uh, an Ethereum at 1850 because I could afford it. You know what I mean? I, I had a little, and I, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to watch it, I think. Everything, all well, NFT uh, payments are that, so it's going to be... That's what I was going to say. The best part about Ethereum is that you can actually use it as a currency and spend it on NFTs and other things in a way that I think is a bit... I don't say it's not more difficult to do with Bitcoin. It's just the, the use case is uh, a, a sort of a lesser argument. But if the purpose of owning any of these currencies is to hold them and, and try to use them as investments, if you will, then there's no reason to ever use them as currencies. Yeah. Well... I don't. I don't have my eye on any NFTs yet. Your NFT, your little. You you have the actual baseball card. You haven't turned that into an NFT yet. Have you? I have not turned it. But I I look at NFTs a lot. I'm very. I'm totally into the whole NFT world. I go to Open Space and all the other sites, and I'm always looking. What do you got? Not, I haven't on? bought anything yet, but our kids are looking and doing stuff. So yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. And then you have it, but you don't really have it. You have it, but. You don't really have it, right? You don't really have something you can hang up, can you? I could print it out and hang it up. Print it out and, and hang it up. But if I were to buy the NFT, I would have the only one of that digital version. That's the way to think about it. Okay. I know. I, but I, I, look, I debate this with my father all the time, and he says it's fake, and I don't know. In global market news, Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index plunging more than 4% today as tech stocks were hammered. Eunice Yoon joins us with the details. Good morning. Good day. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Andrew. Um, investors here were spooked uh, by a series of regulatory clampdowns by Chinese, by the Chinese government in tech, in property, as well as in education. Today, the Internet Ministry announced that it's launching a six-month drive, a campaign that's going to clean up what it described as tough problems in the Internet industry. So that would be uh, data security threats, as well as unauthorized um, Internet connections, Private education firms must now register as not-for-profits um, uh, companies. Uh, this was uh, part of uh, the guidelines that were announced on Friday. Also, uh, property uh, companies got hit because uh, local media are saying that a drive, a three-year drive, that was also announced by the housing ministry on Friday to try to uh, rein in some of the speculation in the property sector, that this will now include new limits on land purchases to under 40% of annual sales, including including acquisition costs. Uh, two companies, um, individual stories that also saw a lot of action, Tencent down quite a bit. And this is because uh, the regulators had said that uh, they were slapping fines on Tencent um, after uh, its uh, past merger uh, to create Tencent Music. Um, Meituan, which is a food delivery company, also uh, down quite a bit because uh, the government today announced that it was going to clamp down on on uh, food delivery companies and saying that they needed to be able to uh, they needed to make sure that they um, adhere to the rights and of the delivery staff uh, so all that of course affecting sentiment and then separately uh, the US China talks appear to be off to a very rocky start as you guys well know the US uh, deputy of uh, state, um, uh, uh, Wendy Sherman, is in Tianjin, nearby Beijing, and uh, um, it sounds as though she got an earful from her Chinese counterpart who essentially had described the Biden administration's um, focus on competition as, uh, um, as like kind of a guise um, to try to suppress China. Guys? 
Wish we had a crystal ball, uh, Eunice, because we, we, we talk to you a lot now as, as China. There seems to be a different story every day that we're following. And, and it, it also in, in you know, crypto and uh, the Aunt Tencent sort of uh, story that, that's coming out as well. What I just wonder, what's the end result? And will we go through a period of where we aren't having a, a, a new piece every couple of days or every week and we you know we can all relax because it, it, we really have to watch this very closely for our markets here as well what's happening yeah there. well there's definitely a ton of uncertainty right now um when you mentioned that, you know there's like um, a big push for control from the government uh, for a variety of reasons, I would say. I think uh, there are a lot of people who say that um, certain sectors did need cleaning up um, so that there is, a, at least in part, um, um, you know, a hope to try to clean up some some companies that, that have engaged in some practices that um, people, a lot of private companies, think that w- weren't very good. At the same time, there has a big um, concern that there's um, quite a bit of political control that's also going on here. Um, but in terms of uh, the conversations with the trade talks, some other reports that are emerging um, really show that China wants to um, make, uh, kind of present itself as um, an equal to the United States. Uh, supposedly, and this was really interesting, um, after the talks, the Chinese um, officials had handed over um, a list of demands and a suggested plan of action uh, for the U.S., which includes um, dropping the extradition request for Huawei CFO and also lifting all the sanctions on Chinese officials. So, you know, you could see the dynamic where China is really trying to present itself as as a tough as as tough against the United States. And I think part of that is for domestic consumption, but also um, part of it is for international consumption because it wants to show that that it's a, a major player on the global stage. Big piece on this continuing Wuhan lab story, too, and no cooperation. I, don't, I, I think that China, the government wants to, to totally put that behind, uh, behind them right now. But it's not, there's certain fa- uh, factions over here that aren't going to let that happen, Eunice. I can tell you that. Uh, anyway, thank you uh, this morning. It's good to see you. In electronic vehicle news, um, we're going to uh, do an interview. It's going to be a first on CNBC interview right here with Lucid Motors CEO uh, Peter Rolson as they uh, complete their deal uh, with Churchill as a SPAC. Joe? Yep. And we, were pl- we had a car there last week. It's working, we remember, and now we got another one. This has become kind of a, uh, like a parking space for, for new type vehicles. There's, a, there's now a Lucid yep. uh, one out there. We do need, you know, like... 100 people guarding the thing because we're in there Times it is. Square. But yeah, there it I is. I went on a little bit of a test drive, Joe, last week. I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll have on to get Friday? some video of that. Really? And it was, Which there was car? like a, um, a ludicrous mode, uh, is, is that what, what, what uh, insanity mode, you know, that Tesla's got. Yeah. But this was just was super fast. West Side Highway. And I thought my face was going to, you know, you could feel the G's. Or at least I felt like that. I was feeling the G's. Was it a Tesla that you. you- no, it was a. It was one of the, oh, the lucid. The, the you new went on lucid. With, one, with the lucid. Okay, they all go zero to sixty in like two seconds. Pretty amazing. I don't know where you'd do that. You'd run into someone. All right, uh, so can I, and it's on, so we can see that we can see the G's effect on your face at some point today. I don't know if we we were able to capture that that exactly, and it. it I don't think it looked anything like you know Jeff Bezos or uh, Richard Branson's face going up to space. So you, I don't want to. I don't want to overstate. Yeah, I don't want to overstate, yeah, I don't yeah. overstate the uh, the effect. Next on Squawk Pod, 
electric vehicle startup Lucid on stacking up against the competition. CEO and Chief Technology Officer Peter Rawlinson. I want Lucid Air to be compared and road tested against the very best that Stuttgart can offer. Bring on the competition, that's what I say. Because you know who benefits from that? Not just our customers, but all mankind, because we all breathe the air. And later, the Olympics and how we watch. If it's bettable, I will do it. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here we go. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh my God. <laughs> That's insane. I felt it. That was Andrew Ross Sorkin experiencing the Lucid Air, a luxury electric sedan that aims to compete directly against Tesla. Lucid Motors is going public today on the NASDAQ via a SPAC under the ticker LCID. Lucid's chief executive, Peter Rawlinson, previously led the engineering team on Tesla's Model S and is largely following the Elon Musk playbook when it comes to production, some technology, dealerships, and service. But it's charting a different path on electric vehicle charging stations, automated driving systems, and advertising. The EV maker hopes to start selling its Lucid Air by the second half of this year with the help of its factory in Arizona. Lucid expects to produce more than 500,000 vehicles per year by 2030. Musk, who is known for stating ambitious plans but notorious for missing self-imposed deadlines, says that Tesla will probably produce 20 million electric vehicles a year before 2030. And just in case you're wondering, Lucid's flagship vehicle, the one that Andrew was driving in, has a starting price of just about $77,000. Lucid's CEO and CTO, Peter Rawlinson, joined us today. Here's Andrew. Peter, it's great to see you this morning. Congratulations uh, on uh, this transition to officially now being a public company. We've we've spoken to you now a bunch of times, uh, but now it's real and you have $4.4 billion uh, to to get to work with uh, in terms of building out uh, your production facilities and everything else. Uh, before we get into the business itself, I just want to understand what happened really over the last 72 hours, if not the last week, because um, it was a very touch and go period, a moment uh, where trying to get so many of the retail investors to actually vote in favor of this transaction was, I think, a lot tougher than people anticipated. Well, I think the key message here is that Lucid attracted such interest from the retail sector right around the world. Uh, there's a great following for our mission. And it was just a matter of getting the word out to that sector. And the great work was done. 
in partnership with Churchill Capital, we got a resounding percentage uh, of positive vote. It was just a matter of getting that word out through the retail sector. Uh, the reason I ask, though, is this going to be a different relationship? And do you think that as a CEO of this type of public company with so many retail investors that you're going to have to communicate that with them in a very different way? Because historically, if you had more institutions involved in these types of investments, you'd be able to get the vote very quickly. This was sort of a new feature of uh, or or problem, perhaps, with this with the sort of uh, Reddit slash Robin Hood community. It is quite a phenomenon, isn't it? And I think that we do have a very illustrious roster of blue-chip um, uh, institutional investors, but we've attracted so much interest from the retail sector as well. And, and I think it's testament to uh, the, the appeal of our product and our technology that we've enjoyed that position. Um, I had the opportunity to uh, take a test drive in uh, the air uh, just last week. It was... Uh, Pretty, pretty spectacular, I will say. Um, the last time we talked, you said you had about 10,000 pre-orders for this uh, vehicle. Uh, what do those numbers look like today? Uh, we just announced this morning it's, it's crossed the 11,000 mark and growing daily. And uh, we're responding to that uptake in demand. We're accelerating our factory to uh, accommodate increased volume. We've just started grading the site for a 2.7 million square foot expansion. And this is what the $4.4 billion that we've secured enables. It enables uh, a growth of the company, strategic, judicious growth, um, uh, to expand our manufacturing capability and to mitigate risk as a company. You know, um, oftentimes your company gets compared to, uh, I assume you, you like the comparison to Tesla, uh, but one of the things when you think about the, the, the life cycle of Tesla from the beginning to, to now is they've had to raise an enormous amount of money, not just once, but they've had to do it repeatedly. So you've now raised $4.4 billion. I imagine that's hopefully giving you some running room here. But do you think you're going to have to go back to the public market to raise more money in the future? Well, I think the 4.4 puts us in a very enviable position. It secures our financial runway through to the end of 2022. Um, if we can, you, you make the comparison with Tesla, I believe they, they uh, um, accrued about 300 million uh, through their IPO. So that's a resounding difference. And it puts us in a, in a great position for strategic growth. But the, the reason I ask the question, though, is because if you're going to need cash in end of 22, 23, how, how should it, the investors think about the possibility of dilution in the future? Well, we need to attract um, uh, increased capital because this is a, a capital-intensive um, endeavour. Uh, but that doesn't have to be gained through dilution. It doesn't have to be through equity financing. And uh, with Sherry House joining us, my new CFO, we're looking at um, all, all avenues. Uh, because, um, make no mistake, we're on a trajectory now as a business. We need to grow this business. And this isn't just about uh, Lucid Motors. We're, we're launching the Lucid Group of companies. Uh, we're going to be in the forefront of electric mobility and electric technologies. And that's what the environment needs. We need this transition towards sustainable mobility. And that's what our advanced technology can offer. In terms of timing, um, you're still making pre-production cars 
How long do you think it'll be before you're, you're manufacturing cars uh, intended for consumers? I want to be really clear about that. We are on track uh, for our commitment for our uh, delivery to customers of Lucid Air this year. And we're on track for our commitments for volume for the next couple of years. And we, you know, what really excites me, although this is a red letter day for the company, uh, it's a landmark in our journey here uh, becoming a public company. But everyone knows what really excites me is the prospect of delivering the best EVs in the world to our customers this year. And we're going to commence that with the Lucid Air that you've experienced firsthand. Peter, Mercedes says that it's going to be all electric by 2030. How do you think about the broader competition? Are you thinking about just the EV market, or do you have to assume that we're talking about all luxury vehicles at this point? Well, I don't actually, I, I, I don't actually believe there is a market for EVs as such, Andrew. I think there's a market for cars. And the more penetration that EVs can make in all sectors, the better it is for the environment. We need to accelerate that. But look, hats off to Mercedes. They're coming with the EQS to the US very soon. And I'm delighted as I welcome that competition. I want Lucid Air to be compared and road tested against the very best that Stuttgart can offer. Bring on the competition, that's what I say. Because you know who benefits from that? Not just our customers, but all mankind, because we all breathe the air. Peter, strategically, you've always positioned um, Lucid as a very high-end, super-luxury company. And the question is, longer term, is this like a Tesla kind of uh, model in which you intend over time to bring the price down? And at what what, what is the the, the lowest price point or or even value version of the car that you think you may end up offering? Or, Or is that not in the cards? Well, look, uh, we're starting with a, a, a high-end product. It has to be a technological tour de force at an appropriate price point because I believe that product defines brand, not the other way around. So, yeah, we, started, uh, with, we start with the Dream Edition, and that is uh, an expensive product. It's $169,000, but it's over 1,000 horsepower, and variants will have over 500-mile range. But we will get... A Lucid Air with the Lucid Pure, the, the Air Pure model, uh, to $77,400 uh, late next year. And I want to really push the price down, make the product more uh, attainable, because that's what we need, and gradually increase volumes. Uh, but we need to establish the brand with our initial product, 1,000 horsepower, dream edition, Supercar performance, incredible range, and that defines the brand. Peter, um, as you may know, uh, I'm sure you know, Tesla is uh, opening up its charging network to other brands. I'm curious how you think about that. I know that you're part of the Electrifying uh, America network, but um, longer term, do you see all of these vehicles working on each other's networks? Well, I think that would be a, a, a great solution. I think the important thing here is that we're partnering with Electrify America, which is a, a capital light solution for Lucid. We're going uh, capital intensive with our technology and with our manufacturing. Uh, we're, we're CapEx light, and we're also leveraging the 1,000-volt, 350-kilowatt capability of the Electrify America network. Lucid Air Dream Edition launches at 924 volts. This is the next generation high voltage 
cars. You compare that with the Tesla network, which is, is more of a 400-volt system. So it's a lot faster charge. Um, Peter, I want to thank you. Um, I will tell you, uh, it, sitting, sitting in the passenger seat riding shotgun, uh, we we went from like zero to 60. And I don't know how I mean, it was too it was too fast for me to the point where I literally said to the driver, we got to slow down because I was I, I was nervous. But he's he's done it before uh, many, many a times. Glad you enjoyed so, it. Thank you, Peter. Uh, we wish you lots of luck with this. Thank you so much. Andy. Joe, I'm going to take you for a drive next time. We remember when we did that. You you yep. you didn't want me to drive fast. What we were driving Ferraris, I think, then, weren't we? I think we were. Coming up, the Olympic Games in Tokyo kicked off over the weekend, and the competition for ratings is intense. Friday's opening ceremonies had the smallest number of viewers in three decades. Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher. This opening ceremony, if this is a forecast of what the rest of the Olympics looks like, it's going to be pretty bad. It's way, way down, and it's a cause for concern. And CNBC Sports business reporter Jabari Young. But if you can get people even tuned in when you have so much negativity entering the Olympics, I think it's a success. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Stand by, Joe. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe. And three, two, one. His mic here. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. And Becky uh, is off today, I think maybe this week. Uh, Andrew, I don't uh, know her schedule, yep. but I think that uh, it's, all, it's almost August. We all need, we need a week once in a while, don't you think? We do, huh? we do. The Olympic Games officially kicking off on Friday. Mid concerns, though, about COVID and other challenges. If we look at the latest headlines coming out of Tokyo and the ratings for NBC Universal, our parent company, we want to welcome Sarah Fisher to the conversation, Axios Media reporter, uh, and of course, uh, Jabari Young, CNBC sports business reporter. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, I'm going to start, start with you, Sarah. I uh, want to talk about sort of what you think. We're seeing from the ratings what we're seeing from the downloads of Peacock and what it all means. Yeah, I think you're seeing a continuation of what we've seen throughout the pandemic, which is that huge events, sports events, awards, etc., are just down across the board. As people have transitioned to streaming throughout the pandemic, they're not watching live linear TV shows as much as they used to. That's number one. And then number two, as you mentioned, Downloads for Peacock or streams on Peacock are up, and that's great news for NBC. Now, does that mean overall this is going to be a successful Olympics? We don't know yet, Andrew. We don't know exactly how many people are paid subscribers. We don't know how many people are going to hold on to signing up after the Olympics is over. But what we do know is this is NBC's most important bet yet on streaming, so they have to get this right. Jabari, what do you think it says about, about either this moment or sports um, sports has always been this this product, if you will, a show that brings people together, brings the country together. But I'll tell you, my son, who, who loves the Olympics, watching it, he's 10 years old, on an iPad, not live. He's on Peacock. 
He's scrolling through the sports like it's a video game, and he'll pick the sport, he'll watch the clip, he'll go to the next clip, then he'll go to the next clip. It's a completely different experience than the way I grew up watching it, which was the whole family around the TV screen. It sounds like me and your son need to watch the Olympics together because that's exactly what I was doing. Uh, you know, I watched the USA basketball game on Peacock, and then afterwards I got in- interested in the storytelling edition when they had, you know, explaining all the, 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 uh, the storylines behind USA basketball. Jerry Colangelo's last one, Grant Hill taking over, Kevin Durant putting a spotlight. What I think it says is just it's a new generation that's coming up. Uh, you know, wearing a uh, crowd with streaming is important. You know, I think NBC released their uh, first uh, met- metrics on the Olympics on Saturday, and they were impressed with their streaming numbers on Peacock. I think they said they had about a total audience delivery, about 15.3 million uh, for, for Saturday's primetime coverage. I don't know if that's a bad number or this is a good number. What I do know is, is that from the Olympic standpoint, it's just good to get out of the negative COVID headlines, and you're still going to have that, and to start to celebrate and get to know some of these athletes. I watched the rolling. I thought that was interesting. Australia going up against USA. I thought that was great. Men's volleyball. I was tuned in. I like the guy, uh, Michael Christensen and Max Holt and Matt, uh, Matt Anderson. I thought the intensity, the passion of those guys on the court with no fans was great. And so if you keep this up, I think it will be a successful uh, Olympics for NBC. Whether that shows in the ratings department, who knows? But if you can get people even tuned in when you have so much negativity entering the Olympics, I think it's a success. Sarah, what do you think, though, about that, that idea of a shared experience? And I remember people even talking about this as an issue back, I want to say, in the Atlanta Olympics. This is now in the 90s when, you know, NBC was going to run it on three different networks and that was going to split up the sort of quote-unquote shared experience. Now, the, the, the shared experience is, is fractured in in far other ways. Yeah, well, the big problem here, Andrew, is we just don't know how to measure it. Obviously, these eyeballs are engaged and they matter and they're important. But we don't have a sort of uniform metric for streaming right now and for social media consumption like we do in television. Now, that matters because advertisers who spent over a billion dollars with NBC on this Olympics need something to justify that spend. Traditionally, it's been Nielsen ratings for television. We don't have that streaming equivalent. Now, what does it mean for the future of a host like NBC getting broadcast rights? I think in the future, you're just going to see rights be divided even more. There are going to be certain rights that go to social media who are allowed to air clips. There's going to be certain rights for streaming. There's going to be certain rights for broadcast. And that's how it's going to look in the future. Now, wanted just to go back to Jabari's point. He's totally right. The fact that we get any eyeballs here matters because it's the COVID Olympics and it's quite boring without some of the fans. But to put it in context, Andrew, this opening ceremony, if this is a forecast for what the rest of the Olympics looks like, it's going to be pretty bad. I mean, 16 million viewers. Last Olympics in Rio, we had close to 27 million. London 2012, 40 million for that opening ceremony. So it's way, way down and it's a cause for concern. Hey, Jabari, real quick, uh, one of the things that's fascinating about what Peacock's doing is there's the free part and then there's the paid part. Basketball, USA Basketball, is part of the paid part. Um, And the question is whether you think that is going to draw in users not just to watch basketball, but then to stay with the, the app going forward with all the other programming on it. Well, I think that's all about the storytelling ability of it. I think, you know, sometimes we overanalyze things. When you get people tuned in, you get them tuned in because they're they're gravitating towards a story. And I think the USA basketball, they lost against France. Their story now is starting to build up. I get it for free. I don't know if people are going to pay for it. I get it for free right now, Andrew. You probably do, too. But I, I think they will if you can tell the story. And we know NBC is very good at storytelling. Right.
Guys, appreciate it. We got to leave the conversation there. Hey, Joe, are you, I'm curious, are you betting on the Olympics at all? Someone asked can me you that. Bet? I, I think I, you can, I, right? I, I, I haven't, I have not yet. I was in a state where it's so backwards that you can't use DraftKings. Uh, I, I, I was, okay. I drove 20 hours in three days. Um, and on Monday, and then 10 on Monday and 10 on Sunday. So I'm like, but I'll tell you, I had a adaptive cruise control where it, it keeps you three lengths from the car. It was like almost autonomous, but you kind of, you, you don't need to do anything. I almost started uh, falling asleep. So I didn't get to watch much, but I'm going to. Okay. I'm going to check on that. Uh, and if, if it's bettable, uh, I, will, I will do it. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right to your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet at us at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 